2.1 billion. That's a pretty big number. If you counted one number every second, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, it would take you about 70 years to count to 2.1 billion. 2.1 billion people around the world claim the name of Jesus today. And 2.1 billion is just a fraction of the number of people who have followed Jesus for the last 2,000 years. But this worldwide family of believers began with only a small number of committed individuals who had an encounter with a power larger than themselves. That handful of people went from being faces in the crowd to active parts of a movement that would change the course of humanity forever. Through the Spirit of God, we have the potential for great things. Jesus has empowered each one of us to change the course of history. It's up to us to take on that challenge. The founders of the early church were not anything special on their own. They were ordinary people who encountered an extraordinary power and responded in obedience. That's their origin story. What's yours? 2.1 billion people across the planet today. 2.1 billion. I hope that video gave you just kind of an idea of how big a number 2.1 billion is. One number every second, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year with no breaks, and 70 years later, you get to 2.1 billion. Even as I typed that number into my presentation uh, last night and, and this morning, I was like, man, my fingers are getting tired just typing. I mean, that's a lot. It's a big number. I wonder if that's what Jesus had in mind when he said that the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds. But when it has grown, it's, been, it's larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. The very first seed of the kingdom of God was about 100 Christ followers, many of them scared, many of them who denied and abandoned Jesus in his hour of need. And yet when they encountered an extraordinary power, something changed, and now there are 2.1 billion birds nesting in that tree that is the kingdom of God. So here's my question, <laughs> and I think it's a really important question. And this is the question that has kind of shaped this entire series, and it's really simple. It's, then why are we here? Just so we could fill the branches of the tree, just so Jesus could say that the, you know, the thing that started with 100 has grown into this worldwide history-changing global movement, no, we have a mission that God has called us to. We have a goal in mind. And over the next uh, few weeks and months, what I want to do is be able to walk away from this place each and every Sunday morning and walk away from this place when our series is over with a crystal clear idea and a crystal clear answer when we ask, why is it that we are here, not just the church at large, the big C church, and not just the little C local church, but Bayview Glen Church? Why are we here? Why do we exist? And so that's what we're going to do. But we're going to kick off this morning with just kind of some intro comments uh, for our time over the next couple of weeks and months. So let's pray together as we uh, get into that. God, thank you that um, what started as a mustard seed 
minuscule, almost invisible, <laughs> and an obscure moment in history and a very small group of people. Thank you that it has grown now to welcome and nourish 2.1 billion people across the planet. We are grateful to be some of those. God, I pray that you would give me uh, just a clarity of thought this morning and, and an ability to communicate um, these principles with, with passion, with clarity, with cogency, so that as a church we can kind of put our hands in the middle and say, this is what we're about, this is what we're doing. And that we could see uh, with, with, with clarity again the mission that you've called us to. In the name of Christ, God's people together said, Amen. Uh, just after Jesus uh, was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, uh, what happened was Luke wrote this book called Acts. Not me, Luke, another Luke. And uh, he collected all this information, and he wrote about uh, Jesus in, in, in his gospel. And then he wrote about the history of the church. And he begins that church history uh, by saying this. He says, in, in the first book, O Theophilus, that means his gospel, that first book, he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he given commandments through the Holy Spirit of the apostles which he had chosen. I find it absolutely fascinating and hopefully compelling to you that, listen to the language that Luke uses here. All that Jesus began to do and teach. Isn't that interesting? It's not all that Jesus did and taught. It's all that Jesus began to do and teach. The implication is, He's not yet done with it, right? He's not yet done all he wanted to do. He's not yet taught all that he wanted to teach, at least to as many people as he wanted to teach and as many people as he wanted to impact. And so what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 28 and other places is that he charges the church to continue the mission. He says, I have begun to do and teach these things. Now you go finish it. I have put this thing in motion, now you're going to carry it forward. He has charged the church to continue the mission. And so when we ask ourselves, why are we here? If we were to look back at that early church, that early group of followers, we could see in the ways that they behaved, the ways that they interacted, what they valued, what they did, what it is that God has called us to and how it is that he, want us, he wants us to go about achieving that mission. So there are two things that I want us to get out of this series as we talk about the ways in which God has called us to accomplish his mission. One is I want us to get an incredible amount of clarity so we can just say this thing to one another. This is the mission of Bayview Glen Church. In fact, we are going to re-articulate the mission of Bayview Glen Church. Some of you know that currently it's glorify God, foster community, make disciples, love it. The guy who came up with that is a mentor to me and a friend. Absolutely great. However, we're going to re-articulate that in a way that kind of better reflects who we are now. And I want us all to be able to say it and memorize it and say, this is the mission of Baby Glen Church. You're gonna hear about that this morning. Second, and this is maybe even more important, at least of equal importance, is that I want us to see ourselves as one more iteration in a long line of witnesses for the kingdom of God. You understand that it's not just like there was the New Testament church and then there was us, right? 
Like there have been a lot of folks over time who have been witnesses for the kingdom and who have done exactly what it is that Jesus charged us to do. They have carried the mission of Jesus forward. They have done exactly what he charged us to do. What he began to do and teach, they continued to do and teach, and we now stand on their shoulders to take one more step forward. And as we answer this question, uh, I, I started to share this with, this, with the staff, our, our pastoral staff, and I said, you guys, I'm so excited for this church series because I love church history. Like, I think it's so fascinating. It's so compelling to me. Like, I, I love it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about church history, and I love mission and vision and values, and I love when we have absolute crystal clarity and uh, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and what's our preferred future and all that stuff. And, and I want to talk about the ways in which God uh, intervened in the early church and they experienced God in a powerful way. And now there are 2.1 billion people across the planet and it radically changed the face of human history. And our pastoral staff said to me, well, that sounds like an origin story is what that sounds like. Do you guys know what an origin story is? Raise your hand if you know what that is, an origin story. Okay, raise your hand if you don't know what it is. Good, non-nerds in the room, great. Mm. I count myself among you. I did not know what an origin story was. And those guys, our pastors, explained to me that an origin story is an account or backstory revealing how a character gained his or her superpowers. So these are like comic book characters and superhero movie characters. And they just didn't come upon their superpowers. They like woke up one day and they could leap tall buildings in a single bound or whatever. Something happened to them that changed who they were and gave them supernatural powers. See, once again, all our pastors, except for me, of course, are nerds, right? Into comic books. But that's beside the point. You know I love those guys. Okay, so this guy up here, for example, he, he has an origin story. What happened to him? How did he get his superpower? Do you know? He fell from Krypton, right? And something in the gravitational pool or something gave him the ability to leap tall buildings in a single bound and stop this train like a speeding bullet or something like that. This guy, Spider-Man, uh, he was bit by a radioactive spider, right? That's how he got his superpower. That's his origin story. And it gave him a unique ability to, to shoot uh, spider webs out of his wrists and to date women who are out of his league. It's, uh... <laughs> If you've seen any of the Spider-Man movies, that's absolutely true, all right? This guy, Iron Man, people say I look like him. You ever, you ever look up here and think, man, he looks like Tony Stark a little bit. There's a, one of our guys is getting baptized next week, baptism service next week, so excited. He asked me to baptize him, and he said, would you mind doing it in the Iron Man costume? And I said, that's kind of, yeah, I think I will. Yeah, um, so... So Tony Stark, he had a heart problem, right? And he created this suit, and this is what gave him his superpowers. An origin story is an account or, or a backstory revealing how a character gained his or her superpowers. And the church has an origin story. We have an origin story. There was this moment in the early church where, where there was some level of clarity in terms of the mission and then they encountered God in an extraordinary way. And that God encounter, that moment, empowered them in a unique and special way, supernaturally. 
really, not like comic book, like actual supernatural ability and power to move the mission of Jesus forward. Luke talks about it in that same verse. He says, uh, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given his commands. So here's what Luke is saying. He gave his commands. He said, you carry the mission forward. This is post-resurrection and pre-ascension. In other words, those early followers of Jesus, hundreds of them, in fact, uh, Paul tells us in his letter to the church at Corinth, experienced the resurrected Christ. He once was dead, now he's alive. I put my hands in the nail scars, I put my hand in the side. I know, he once was dead, now he's alive. I've experienced the resurrected Christ. The second thing that they experienced was a supernatural power given by the Holy Spirit. Look, he says that after he had given his commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles. So it's kind of this one-two punch here of the resurrection itself and uh, the Pentecost, that day that the Holy Spirit descended on the apostles. And Luke is, it's, you know, when he begins to describe Pentecost, it's hard to even tell, is he speaking literally or figuratively because this is such a big thing that happened. He says that the Holy Spirit of God descended on them like tongues of fire. They were bitten by a radioactive spider, right? And it descended on them like tongues of fire and empowered them to speak languages that they weren't able to speak before. So because they encountered the resurrected Christ and because of that Holy Spirit of God, supernatural things began to happen because ordinary people experience extraordinary power. I want to let you on a little secret because this is something, you know, I read about these people in church history. Mm. I read about um, first century martyrs of the faith and martyrs of the faith ever since then. And I look at them as kind of heroes, right? They're up on a pedestal. Listen, the only difference between you and the heroes of the faith is their radical trust in God. That's the only difference. I mean, you're talking about apostles with minimal literacy. You're talking about some of the, you know, when they were following Jesus, they were essentially homeless. I mean, you're talking about guys that, you know, there wasn't much about them that would be attractive for the world. In fact, their very Lord and Savior didn't have anything about him that was attractive for the world. There wasn't any kind of special ability necessarily, but those ordinary, very extremely surprisingly ordinary people experienced an extraordinary power in order to accomplish the mission that Jesus began. So once again, it leads us to the question is, what is that mission or why are we here? Why is Bayview Glen Church here? Now, between services, uh, one of our guys in the tech booth, his name's Ferdinand, he's, he clicks through the slides and does a great job because I'm all over the place and he follows me and it's unbelievable. And we were talking about this and, and Ferdinand asked me, he's like, is there a text like in the Bible that really kind of summarizes the mission of the early church? And there's a couple of places, Matthew 28, Acts chapter 2, a couple places. But by and large, what you have is that these early followers walked around with Jesus all the time. They talked to Jesus all the time. They saw him doing stuff. And then when he died, resurrected, and ascended into heaven, they just kept doing and teaching those things. There wasn't this moment necessarily where Peter stands up and goes, All right, everyone, let's all write this down on a piece of paper 
because this is what we're up to. They all kind of knew what they were up to. They knew the mission because they've been walking so closely with Jesus. And so what we've done as elders and pastors, and this has been a several-year process here, just so everybody knows, or process. <laughs> I can't reveal my Americanness too much. You guys know I applied for permanent residency? You know that? And then, yeah, what, yeah. Don't clap. Don't clap because here's the problem. Uh, you have to take an English proficiency exam. <laughs> this is not, and this is not a joke. I failed it. I'm serious. I'm serious. They, they, four parts, reading, writing. This, this has absolutely zero to do with the sermon. Nothing to do with the sermon this morning. Four parts, reading, writing, listening, speaking. They grade you on a one to 12 on all of them. I got 12, 12, 11, and eight on the writing part, and you have to get a nine. So I have to take the darn thing over again. I mean, I got a, I got a master's degree in English. Like, thanks for nothing, Arizona State. You know, I mean, can't even get permanent residency. So anyway, where was I at? Why are we here? So what we've done over the last several years as elders and pastors as we've prayed and we've sought God and we've looked at the scripture as closely as we can and we've said, what is it that God has called us to do? And in that kind of prayerful process, that's where I was, prayerful process, we have articulated what is now the mission of Bayview Glen Church. And from here on out, you will hear this mission articulated nearly every Sunday from this platform. You'll see it posted on our walls. You'll see it on all our literature. You'll see it on the website. This is why we are here. This is the mission that God has given to us, and we are the ordinary people who encountered an extraordinary power, and God is moving us forward to accomplish this mission, and here it is. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. And I think this is a really good summary statement of the mission and ministry of Jesus who came to declare good news for the poor, sight to the blind, healing for the brokenhearted. It's a really good summary statement of the ways in which the disciples and early followers of Jesus continue to move the mission forward and continue to do and teach all that Jesus did and taught. So let's break it up one piece at a time, as Johnny Cash once said. We work together. We work together. We don't just attend here. We don't spectate. We don't passively observe. We work together. We get our hands dirty. Pack that lunchbox and get to work. Roll up your sleeves. Do something. Get active. Serve. Participate. We work together, not as individuals. God has called us as a community to work together, and we work together for a particular purpose so that... So that it's not just like this arbitrary thing or like, hey, we like unity, so we try to work together. No, we work together for a particular purpose, and that particular purpose is that everyone everywhere, I don't care who you are, I don't care how old you are, what your sexual orientation is, what your religious affiliation and background is, I don't care whether you live at Shepherd Village or you attend my daughter's elementary school, I don't care whether you live in the greater Toronto area or somewhere that is to the very ends of the earth in a closed or limited access country. We desire that everyone, 
everywhere can experience, not just know about, hear about, or be able to parrot back some ideas or thoughts that they've learned from the Bible, but they would experience in a deep, meaningful, and personal way two things, God's extraordinary and unconditional love, that he loves them deeply because they're made in his image and that he has a plan for them, And number two, we want them to experience his created purpose. I I love this phrase, God's created purpose. Because it's not just that God loves you, it's that he has a design for you. Did you know that? It's that he has a purpose for you. He has a design for marriage. He has a design for work. He has a design for finances. He has a design and a purpose for the ways in which you interact with others. He created those things. And so he knows how they work best. This is when we talk about God's commandments all the time. It's like, well, I broke God's command, or I did God's command, did I disappoint him, did I make him mad, or whatever. It's like, well, God gave you his commands for your joy. He's not there to try to like, think back to the Garden of Eden, right? God gave one command, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. That, that's it, don't eat of the fruit of that tree. Also, have sex and make babies. Like, This is not a heavy-handed God, right? He's giving them commandments for their joy in order to protect them, in order to give them joy and good things, in order to give them meaningful work. This is what God has for us. He has a created purpose for you because of his love. He's not trying to squash your joy and make your life stink. He's not trying to, like, I'm going to publish all these commandments so you read the Bible and go, well, okay, it's going to make my life kind of lame, but... Whatever, got to impress him. It's when I tell my kid, don't touch the fireplace. That's there for her joy. Because if she touches the fireplace, she will be robbed of her joy. God has a purpose for you. He created it. And we want people to experience that. And all of that was best expressed in the person, work, and character of Jesus. So we work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. You're going to hear this time and time again over the next several weeks. But not only do we have a mission, that is a why we exist, we also have a preferred future. That's where we're headed. The dream that we feel like God has given us from a pastoral perspective and an elder perspective for our church. And it's not just, you know, something that, you know, the pastors and elders want to experience. This is something that we feel like God has given us for our entire body of of believers. So we all put our hands in the middle and say, this is the preferred future. This is the dream that God has given us. And it's not even just a dream. It's even more a goal. You know the difference between a dream and a goal? A goal has a timeline and accountability. A dream does not. Like, I dream to have abs like Superman. But that is not a goal. Because there is no timeline and there is no accountability. Hence the reason I had three breakfast sandwiches from Tim Hortons on the way to church this morning. Because it is not a goal. But our goal, our vision... mm, As a church does have a timeline and does have accountability, we have said prayerfully that God has given us a vision that by 2030, there's the timeline, 11 years from now, by 2030, Bayview Glen Church desires to be and endeavors to be a family of 6,000 disciples, 6,000 of us. Last Sunday on Easter, we had about 1,900, including kids. We desire to be a family of 6,000 
by 2030. We believe that that's the vision, the dream, the goal that God has put on our heart. I want to make a couple comments about that real quick. First of all, many of us balk at numbers because in church, numbers don't seem very spiritual, right? This is about each and every individual experiencing. And yeah, okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. It is about individuals experiencing God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. 100% with you. I would also suggest to you that every time something really big and miraculous happened in the New Testament, there was a number attached to it. Jesus, with how many loaves and how many fish? How many loaves and how many fish? So we're not told a little bit. We're told an actual number, aren't we? And we're not told he fed a miraculous amount of people. How many people did he feed? 5,000, right? Because we're told that number. And in the book of Acts, when lots of people come to Christ, it's, it, the author of Acts, Luke, tells us 5,000 people came to Christ. The, the Bible does not balk at numbers. The Bible does not shy away from numbers. In fact, there's an entire book of the Bible called Numbers. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're okay with that number. And it's, and it's not just about that number. It's about that number of people being a family that works together. We don't want to just be people that spectate and warm up you know, seats on a Sunday morning. We want to be a family, and a family has chores. A family works together. A family is committed to one another, to good times and bad. A family celebrates the big stuff and grieves the tough stuff. We want to be a family of 6,000 disciples. Now, this is a Bible word. I know that, but we couldn't come up with any better word than disciple. It's been working for 2,000 years. We're just going to keep using it, all right? And disciples are people, and we've talked about this. Disciples are people that do four things. They are dedicated to God's word and prayer. They are regularly discovering what it means to live in reconciled relationship with God and others. They demonstrate the good news about Jesus in everything that they do, and they declare the good news in in every time they have an opportunity. That's what a disciple is. And could you imagine if there were 6,000 of us who are discovering a life connected to God and others, dedicating ourselves to God's word and prayer, declaring the good news about Jesus and demonstrating the good news about Jesus in all of life. A family, man, oh man, Uh, the face of our city would change. The GTA would change. In fact, over the last 2,000 years, there have been disciples that are dedicated to those things and the face of human history has changed because of it. We want to be a family of 6,000 disciples with 3,000 in life groups and 3,000 on serve team. 3,000 people who are connected to one another, discovering life together, life with God, and bringing life to the community. That's what life groups are. We invite you to join one. They're getting started up like today, I think. And serve teams. These are people that choose to live in the posture of Jesus that say, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. So I'm going to serve. Somebody who maybe can't serve themselves. I'm going to serve a senior. I'm going to serve a child. I'm going to serve our church. When I'm asked to step in and volunteer and give and serve, I'm going to do that because that is participating in the mission and vision that God has given us. So there's the mission. We work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. That's the vision, the preferred future that we believe God has called us to. But there are some things that we want to do and we feel like God has led us toward in terms of being behaving. How do we behave as we accomplish these things and pursue these things? And there are just a couple I'll share with you right now. One is that Jesus is always first. Jesus is first. Not you, not me, 
Not our programs, nothing. Jesus is first. He is preeminent. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's the firstborn of all creation. He has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is always first and exalted in everything we do. Second is because he's first, God gets our best. God gets our best. Man, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a tough time giving God my best, don't you? Like, how many of you are like, you know, the people that are like, you know what, I'm going to pray right before bed. And how long do you pray? 10 to 12 seconds, right? Because then you, right? Sometimes it's tough to give God our best. I know. But what we're going to commit to do as a church and endeavor to do and say these are aspirational values. I don't always live them out, but I want God to get my best. I want him to get the best of my gifts. I want him to get the best of my time. I want him to get the best of my mental ability. I want him to get the best of my finances. I want him to get my best. God gets our best. Three, everybody, somebody at Bayview Glen Church. I love this one. Each and every person that walks through this door is made in the image of God. Did you know that? Doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. You are made in God's image. He crafted you specifically for a purpose. He knows how many hairs are on your head. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he's got a purpose for you. Therefore, you are a somebody who can find community here. You can contribute to the kingdom of God here. You can join with us on mission as we work together so that everyone everywhere can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. Everybody's somebody here. Fourth, we're better together. Mm. We're so much better together. I've heard this said before, like, and, and this is kind of me, this is kind of my personality. A committee of one gets things done. You ever heard that before? Man, I love that. Committee of one gets things done. Not biblical, but I like it. Right? And so I've learned, and I continue to grow in this area, that it is so much better for me when I lean on other people. This is why Paul says, how can the hand say to the foot, I don't need you? That doesn't work. That's why we're a body. We're better together. We work together with each having a purpose. And then we're made new to renew. God has called us to himself in order to bring renewal and regeneration and restoration in all the world around us. We're not just made new so we could say, I've been made new. We're made new to bring that very renewal. And, and when it comes to mission and vision, these are BHAGs. You may have heard that before. Big, hairy, audacious goals. And here's the, here's the great news, is that you can't do it. Did you know that? I can't do it, but God can, and God can do it. So we dream big, we pray big, we seek God, we ask him to do great things because God can do it. He's powerful. This is his mission anyway. And this has been the vision and mission and values, just articulated differently, but it's been the vision, mission, and values of the church for 2,000 years since those ordinary people experienced an extraordinary power of the resurrected Jesus and the Spirit of God enabling them to accomplish mission. I'll tell you one thing before we go. This mission, vision, values, you got that part. Hmm. I don't know about you, but when I think of like big stuff like this, and I think of, man, like, so God growing us to a family of 6,000 disciples, like that's going to require a lot of me. 
that's going to require a lot of you. Or, you know, the, the way that God tends to grow his church even now is that when we personally invite people to experience God's love and his creative purpose through Jesus, and that makes us a little scared sometimes, doesn't it? It's hard sometimes. It's hard a lot of times to invite somebody to church or to share your faith in Jesus. When people start talking about faith and religious stuff and you say, man, I just love Jesus and, and I want his creative purpose to be at work in my life. People are like, they look at you like you have a sombrero on or something. You know, like, what, what, what are you even talking about? Like, that is so weird. And, and, it, and it causes fear in our hearts. And we can even begin to experience some level of persecution. We could feel ostracized. We can maybe not get that promotion that we wanted. We can start to experience some level of persecution. And that was the case in the early church. As they endeavored to accomplish the mission and to continue all the things that Jesus did and taught, that was exactly what was happening. So the author of Hebrews writes to that persecuted early church and writes this. We are not of those who shrink back. We are not of those who are cowardly. We are not of those, look at that word picture there, who shrink back from what we face in the world. That's not us, the author of Hebrews says. Why? We are those who have faith and preserve our souls. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that faith is the antidote for fear. When we look at this mission and we know it's going to require a lot of us and it seems big and it seems overwhelming and it even causes fear in our hearts, we say, no, 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 no. Faith is the antidote for fear. So I'm going to place my active trust in Jesus and watch fear begin to crumble. Okay, so then, so then okay, so if faith is the antidote for fear, if, if I lack courage, then, then faith is what's going to give me courage. Then what is faith? The author of Hebrews, next verse, says this, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Faith is not, I wish. I wish God will come through. I wish he will accomplish his mission. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish. Faith is, I'm sure. Look at those words. Assurance, conviction, we know. So here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that certainty catalyzes courage. You can have so much more courage when you know full well what's waiting for you on the other side. I, I like to think about Kaya, my four-and-a-half-year-old, when I think about this. I um, I've got to the point now where I can kind of reason with her. I mean, we can, like, have conversations. I, I mean, part of it is I think, my, I think about as, like, an eight-year-old thinks. You know, that's about my mental capacity, and she's four and a half, so there's not much difference there. So I think that's part of the reason why I can reason with her. But I can reason with her, especially in moments where she wants or, or, or feels like she needs a particular thing at a particular time in order to make her happy. Daddy, I need a lollipop with gum in it. Say no. And she, this is the late, I told you this a couple weeks ago, this is the latest thing. Daddy, you broke my heart. You broke my heart. That's heart, by the way. Okay, broke your heart. And I'm going, Kaya, love, I have something better for you planned than a lollipop with gum in it. Say, Daddy, I want to watch this show. I want to stay home and watch this show. Kaya, I've got something better for you. So I know it's going to hurt to give up the show in the meantime and go put your boots on and put your coat on. But see, I've got Canada's Wonderland planned for you today. And I promise you that is going to be better than My Little Pony or Barbie Princesses or whatever it is you're watching right now. 
watched a lot of Barbie princesses over the last four years, ladies and gentlemen. And so because she trusts me as her dad, and because she knows I wouldn't lie to her, she says, I think I can give that up because I know, I'm certain that, that I can endure this because you've got something better for me on the other side. See, certainty catalyzes courage. That's what it means to trust God and go, God, I can give up some things. I can give up this desire that I gotta be married, I gotta be married, I gotta be married because I'm waiting for someone who shares my faith values. See, now I'm certain that that's better for me so I can be courageous now. Uh, we, we, we can say something like, you know what, I'm not going to cut corners in my business because I'm certain that honesty and integrity is better for me. So I'm going to wait and maybe not get that promotion or not grow my business or whatever because I'm certain that God has better plans for me. And see, this has been the case for the church for the last 2,000 years. We stand on the shoulders of folks who were absolutely so convinced and certain that God had something better for them that they were willing to sacrifice in the meantime for what God had on the other side. The author of Hebrews continues, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, for this reason, because certainty catalyzes courage, because you are sure of what you hope for, because you are convicted of what's on the other side, you can continue in this mission. You can persevere through persecution because God is faithful. And not only that, you are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. If you look back, the author of Hebrews says, in all of chapter 11 as those who preceded Christ, that trusted God through faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rahab, I mean, just over Enoch, over and over of those who actively trusted God and said, you've got something better for me, so I'm going to endure in the meantime and keep pushing forward in this mission that you've called us to. And the author of Hebrews says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And I love this word because in the original language, this word is martyr. In, in Greek, that's martyr. So it's, it's not just those who preceded Christ, and it's not just Christ, and it's not just those early apostles, but it's since then. We stand on the shoulders of people who have shed their blood for that very mission and given their lives because they had so much courage. Polycarp, who was a disciple of John, was burned at the stake because he refused to sacrifice to Caesar and call Caesar Lord. Flavius Justinus, who you may know as Justin Martyr, was killed for his faith. Ignatius, who uh, history says, or, or, or at least uh, some of church history says, that he was one of those little children that Christ said, come to me, come to me. Ignatius was thrown to the beast and his body torn apart because he wouldn't give up the name of Jesus. Uh, Perpetua and Felicity, who we've talked about recently, were imprisoned for their faith, and they weren't even really Christians yet. They were in like the new believers class. She was pregnant. She had her baby in prison. They were thrown to wild beasts because they wouldn't back off of the name of Jesus. Jan Hus, he was uh, burned at the stake in the 15th century. His last name means goose. So when you hear somebody say, that, that, that guy's goose is cooked, it comes from Jan Hus. 
He was a Czech Republic or a minister in the Czech Republic and he translated the Bible into the Czech language and wrote hymns in the Czech language and, and people got mad at him for doing so, so mad that they burned him at the stake and his very last words were, Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why? Because he had an extraordinary amount of courage. See, he was willing to sacrifice now because what was on the other side was certain. And it's not just those who come before us 1,900 or 500 years. There's some recent martyrs, some 21st, 20th and 21st century martyrs like Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life because he believed the good news about Jesus said that everybody's somebody. He was a martyr for the faith. Think about it. No matter what your skin color is, everybody's somebody because of Jesus. Uh, Rachel Scott and Cassie Bernal I don't know if you've heard their names before, but they were killed in the massacre at Columbine High School in the United States. They were asked one question and one question only before uh, those uh, two young men, those two broken young men, pulled triggers. And their question was, do you believe in God? Both those young women said, yes, the trigger was pulled. Annalena Tonelli, she was an uh, uh, Italian minister, died at the age of 60 because she believed that people in Somalia with HIV and AIDS needed to die with dignity, so she created a place for them to do so and to have care and hope and tenderness in their last days of life. So a mob of people came to those windows and stormed her hospital and stoned her through rocks at her until she died because of the name of Jesus. Uh, Gail Williams was a minister in the Middle East and she was shot for her faith and for her faith in Jesus because she loved him so much and because she wanted people to know about God's love and about his created purpose through Jesus. See, we stand on the shoulders of those folks and Tertullian even said that the blood of martyrs is the seed of the church. This is not a new mission that we have and we are not a brand new iteration here. We are a next generation of people who continue to carry this mission forward and to continue to do all that Jesus did and taught. Author of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also do two things, lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. In other words, stop doing stuff that God told you not to do and start doing the stuff that he told you to do. And watch this, watch this, this is, this is funny. Also lay aside every weight because there are some things that aren't really sin, but they weigh us down, don't they? There are some things that God would say, well, I mean, that's kind of a morally neutral thing, but, but, but we begin to weigh ourselves down and we're unable to run this race with perseverance that God has marked out for us. But we stand in and we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So lay aside that sin and lay aside every weight and let us run with perseverance the race that is before us. And men and women of God, the race that is before us is working together so that everyone everywhere, the greater Toronto area and beyond, can experience God's love and his created purpose through Jesus. And we are not the first, and we will not be the last unless the Lord returns. Generation of people that move the kingdom of God forward. This is something that's far greater than you could ever accomplish on your own. You can be a part of something bigger than you ever imagined, 
You can stand with those who have given their lives for the sake of the gospel, who had so much incredible courage because they were absolutely certain that the mission was more important. The only difference between you and the heroes of the faith is just radical trust. There wasn't something extraordinary about them necessarily. They were just ordinary people who encountered an extraordinary power and trusted God with all they had. And now there are 2.1 billion birds living in that tree that started as just a little bitty mustard seed. My prayer for us today and over the next several weeks and months is that we would be able to throw aside every weight that holds us down. That we would be able to get rid of the sin that clings so closely and that we would get beyond kind of our personal complacency and comfort, our personal preferences, and that we as a body of believers, Baby Glen Church, would be able to put our hands in the middle and say, we're going to work together. Because everybody is important to God. Everybody's somebody. And we want every one of those people, every place, is on, every place on the planet, to experience God's incredible and unconditional and personal love for them and experience his created purpose as he's revealed it through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're about. That's who we are. And we're going to continue to unpack it in the weeks to come. Let me pray for us. God, I know that um, we went quickly this morning. I know that um, it was kind of a 30,000-foot view. But God, my really deep, fervent, passionate prayer is that we would find ourselves walking in the footsteps of those who have come before us, those who had incredible courage, that we would not count ourselves among those who shrink back, but those who have faith and trust that you've got it under control and you've got something better waiting for us, that we would see ourselves as part of a greater mission, that we would begin to sacrifice our own personal needs and wants and desires and convictions or whatever so that we could adopt your desires and your convictions, that you would call us out of complacency that you would call us out of apathy, that you would call us out of kind of this place where we sit on our hands and just warm a seat on a Sunday morning, but you would call us into authentic biblical community, that you would call us into service, that you would call us into sacrifice. God, we need a fresh indwelling of your Holy Spirit here at Bayview Glen Church. We need to experience that extraordinary power that transforms ordinary people. We need, oh God, to feel as if the Spirit descends on us like tongues of fire and, and sets us ablaze for the mission that you've called us to. God, we need you as we've sung this morning. So God, move us out of our seat and onto mission with you everywhere, every place we go, with everyone we meet. In Christ's name, the people of God together said, amen.